everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger, and today we're going to be discussing the concept of flow. This is a concept that perhaps some of us have heard of before or not. Um, it can also be known as being in the zone, though there are some, some slight differences that, that we will discuss. Um, but we're going to uh, really start with the definition here and uh, go from there. Um, and uh, from an academic perspective, uh, this, this term has really been um, popularized and really researched thoroughly by, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, something close to that. Um, and uh, flow is defined as uh, the mental state in which a person performing some activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement, and enjoyment in the process of the activity. And a quote um, from Mikhail is, the ego falls away, time flies, every action, movement, and thought follows inevitably from the previous one, like playing jazz. Your whole being is involved and you're using your skills to the utmost. So as we can tell from this quote, it's it's this almost effortless uh, feeling that things are moving, things are flowing, um, and it's when somebody is at their peak performance, somebody is um, in the zone or often feeling at their best, feeling like they can perform well very effortlessly. Um, but we'll get into some of the other characteristics as well. Um, so Brian, when you think of this concept or um, how would you start to to break down this concept and some of the uh, characteristics of flow? I think first, Josh, is to realize that flow is not necessarily restricted to sports, although we're going to talk about it really from a tennis perspective. But um, you may... Um, you know, feel in flow doing some aspect of your homework or your job, or it could be some hobby that you get into. And it's, um, you know, so we can feel flow in a number of different contexts. As you mentioned, in, in sports and in tennis, we often talk about being in the zone. And that's obviously a desirable place to be. It uh, Many of us can recall being there. Um, we probably feel like we don't get there enough, and you know, I think as we're going to discuss today, a sport like tennis is not the easiest sport to get into flow because of the nature of the sport and the dynamics that go on with it. But yeah, we want to clearly go through some of the things that are characteristic of a flow or being in the zone experience, and I think it would also be helpful, Josh, to talk about Okay, not only how one gets there, but what are some of the barriers that perhaps tennis throws at you that that make it difficult? Um, so, you know, I think there, depending on what you read, there are probably nine or ten different things that go into um, a flow experience or a characteristics of a, of a flow experience. And I think one perhaps good one to start with, Josh, is this idea of there's a balance between the challenge of what you're trying to do and your skills. And um, one of my favorite websites is this website called optimize.me. Um, it's it's um, run by a guy named Brian Johnson, who started years ago writing these things called Philosopher's Notes. 
And he has this, this great video on, on the inner game of tennis, which you know, obviously we've t- talked about a bunch of times. And he, he explains sort of his five big ideas from that book. And one of them is um, kind of uh, inserts this idea of flow into one of, the, one of his big ideas. And, and he draws this really nice graph of what he calls that challenge skills balance. And he notes how when you have a high challenge and, and low skills, it creates a sense of anxiety. But if you have high skills and a low challenge, that can create a sense of boredom. And so we're really, we're always looking to maximize that challenge skills balance so that we can create a, a state of flow. And so, you know, even as tennis players, you know, what it, sometimes we're going to play people who aren't as good or maybe people who are way better than we are, right? And that, that can be challenging in how, how do we deal with that. Um, but then we're going to have people right in our zone. Um, and so I think that that's, it's a good thing to realize and, and maybe there's something that we can do in those mismatched situations so that we can still perform well, even though maybe we're or we're overmatched or the opponent is 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 not quite as good. So I think this is a, that's an interesting one, right, to really think about, okay, where are my skills? What's the challenge I have in front of me? Um you know, can I kind of match that up so that I I feel really engaged? So what do you think about that one, Josh? Yeah. Yeah, I uh I I guess one thing I would add to that um and one of the uh one of the other characteristics or one of the other ways to get into to flow um, is through really having clear goals and uh, yeah. to um, to form some goals for yourself. So as, as you mentioned, um, sometimes there will be situations where you're playing somebody a similar level to you. Sometimes it'll be somebody stronger or weaker um, or you perceive it to be that way. But um, what's important for any athletes listening is to be able to uh, create challenges and create goals for yourself. So regardless of who is on the other side of the net, or that was one or two players on the other side of the net, are there certain things that um, you can challenge yourself to do? Maybe it's a certain aspects of your game. Okay. I'm, I know I'm playing this person who's um, a couple of UTR points lower than, than me. Um, I am going to really challenge myself to, be aggressive with my serve today or to, you know, put myself out of my comfort zone in some way and still challenge myself um, and still create those challenges that do match up with my skill set and, um, and find those challenges on that day where maybe it would be easy to just sort of rely on um, that playing style that you usually use and, you know, win that match that way, but to still be challenging yourself um, in a, in a match like that, I, I think is something that helps a lot of, uh, helps a lot of players. Um, so having that clear goal and forming it based on whatever's in front of us. So sort of creating that challenge, um, artificially at times, um, based, you know, regardless of who's on the other side of the net. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, we do want to set those challenging goals when we're in those mismatch situations, you know, i working with a, a young player right now. And we, we did this exact thing. He was entering a tournament in which he was clearly going to be the best player there. And we set some very specific goals for him to work on in each match and basically said, these are the most important things this weekend, not the result. And, you know, he 
it was one of those situations where he should have won, you know, like 0-0 and 1-1, and right, based on what you would see in paper. And he did. And because, you know, because he had these great goals that we had set, he was able to, to do that more efficiently. Um, and I think you can do this also when you're overmatched. It's yep. not so much about perhaps winning the match, but maybe it's about making the other person work harder. Um, can you extend points? You know, things like that. Um, or maybe different tactics you want to try out. Um, how can you sabotage? Do some of those things. And so then that keeps you kind of in the match as well, right? You're working on very specific things as opposed to being so concerned with the mismatch and perhaps you give the match away or it, you know, sort of lose it in the locker room, you know, or lose the match before you even begin. Right. So I think, yeah, these two things, I mean, uh, when we talk about being in flow, there's that challenge skills balance, but then regardless, you ought to have these clear goals, but this is uh, something you can use to challenge yourself to be more focused even in these other situations as, as a tennis player. So I think that that's, uh, that's tremendously important that we always have some clear goals that we want to, to accomplish. And it may just be, it could be technical, it could be mental, it could be strategic, right? There's a lot of different categories. These are great things to work on with your, your coach um, or a sports psych person. You know, if you're consulting with somebody like that, um, but great idea to set these process or challenging goals maybe the day before your match so that you can be reading it and you know then just reviewing it on the day may even do some visualization of that um, so I think those are you know two aspects of being in flow or being in the zone that really work nicely together um, what's a what do you think is maybe the next um, characteristic of flow that we should talk about um, I think a big one is to really this focus and concentration piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so to really be focused and concentrated on the task at hand. So if somebody is in flow, they're generally not distracted by um, something else that's going on in that moment, whether that be the opponent or a fan or a line call, but they're focused and they're concentrated on whatever that mission is, whatever that task is, maybe it's, it it should be that point that's right in front of us, right in front of them. Um, They're not, generally, they're not fixated on um, that line call that they disagree with from the game before, um, but they are focused on that point in front of them, or regardless of what happened in the point, they're ready to play that next one, but they are in the moment, they're present in the moment and focused and concentrated on whatever that task at hand is. So in in a tennis context, that would be the next point, which as you've brought up in the past, Brian, is the most important point of the match. Yeah, and I'm actually, um, when you brought that up, Josh, it reminded me of a quote that I recently read. Um, And this is from an article that Terry Orlick, who's a Canadian sports psychologist, wrote a fantastic book called uh, In Pursuit of Excellence. And um, it's got this quote from a golfer. And it's got to do, um, I think, when we, you know, Orlick looks at full focus as being like the most important aspect of um, 
excellence, right? In, in his wheel of excellence, it's it's right up there with um, self belief and confidence. But then the next most important thing is if if it's full focus, is the the most important. The next most important thing is distraction control. How can you? And he's got this quote here. Um, and this is it's it's an, an anonymous professional golfer, but it says. The player that is not playing well is backing off his shots, telling people in the gallery to move, and they're hearing every noise on the golf course. Whereas the player who's playing well, you could drop their bag at the top of their backswing and it wouldn't bother them. Yep. Right. And that's, uh, I think, exactly about being in in flow and in the zone. And sort of, it it makes the point of what you were just saying, Josh, about how um, you've got that full concentration on what we're doing in the moment. So it's not only thinking about, yeah, this next point, but even while you're playing, there's this just so focused on maybe just the ball or you've just got this real sense of your strategy. You know, I'm just, I'm breaking down this opponent's backhand and I'm just like fully into that. And I'm just over and over again, hammering that or or executing a particular pattern or play. And you're not even really thinking about it, right? But you're just so focused on that. Um, so I think that that goes well also with your clear goals piece. Because maybe, like I just just saying, maybe the game plan that you devised as part of your goals before the match is the item that you're really focused on in that moment. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's very important. And uh, the, the piece that I would, would add on to that is the feedback piece, that you have clear goals, whether that's um, something strategic, whether that's something um, something mental about, you know, your body language or going through your routine each time, but you have these clear goals and intentions um, that you set out, but it's very important to be receiving feedback along the way during that performance or during practice, I would add, um, so that, so that you, you know, if you're hitting these targets, if you know that you're, whether or not you're achieving these goals as you go. And as we know, um, for better or worse, tennis is a game of instant feedback, which as we've talked about in this podcast is one of the, uh, one of the things that makes tennis so tough and particularly the scoring system of tennis can make that so, so challenging. Um, so you'll be receiving one form of feedback, certainly in a match of whether or not you're winning points, but to be able to determine for yourself based on those goals that you've set um, and whether or not you're hitting those targets and achieving those goals and to sort of be able to either be either have a coach or somebody help you with, with receiving feedback really on the practice court or maybe on the match court, if it's that sort of situation where a coach can be present, but also to be able to give yourself feedback on whether or not you're achieving what you're setting out to in terms of those uh, goals and ambitions. Yeah. And I think in the flow literature, it refers to unambiguous feedback, which tennis doesn't give you a ton of, I mean, yes, some un- unambiguous feedback that you get in tennis is the, you know, I see the ball land in the court. That's, you know, objective. Um, but there's a lot of ambiguous feedback going on um, because some of it is our perceptions of what may be happening. So, you know, say it's three all, you could be feeling like I'm not playing very well. And that could be, you know, that, and you're giving yourself that feedback while somebody else could be watching 
you know, on the side of the court and think you're playing amazing, right? And so it's like two different perspectives, same performance, different, um, you know, bits of feedback going on there. Um, so I think when we talk about this one, probably have to train ourselves to, especially when we're competing, to give ourselves feedback that's productive toward trying to achieve the goal of winning the match or playing to win, right? Or performing your best. Um, and, and so I think it's important to manage that feedback, um, not to necessarily be, you know, in dreamland about it, like, oh, that's a great mistake or something, but um, optimistic at least that we can, all right, you know, I think when we talk about um, the inner game of tennis, a lot of it is that neutral approach, non-judgmental approach. And I think this is where we have to be careful with respect to feedback during a match. Can it? Can we make it non-judgmental? Can it be just like, oh, okay, that needs some work and move on, right? Or, hey, that was okay, fine, move on or whatever. Um, so this one I think is a tricky one because, like you said, there are a lot of different things going on on the tennis court and that are giving us, you know, sort of sensory feedback. Which ones do we pay attention to and which ones do we uh, choose to, to put aside? And, and then may, that also probably factors into the concentration on the task at hand. Yeah, no, you, you bring up a good point that the, the, the feedback has to be has to be made in, in the correct way. So not letting our own ego and our own judgments cloud the, the type of feedback that we're receiving. So if, if you miss a backhand into the net, for instance, it can be very easy to fall into the trap that, oh, I always do that. My backhand is the worst. Where instead, a, a better form of feedback would be, okay, maybe I um, didn't rotate enough on that backhand or I didn't get my racket back far enough or soon enough. Um, but just simply trying to see things as they are and detaching our ego from it, um, or at, at least trying to, um, can help can, can help that um, feedback be more non-judgmental and more, as you said, un unambiguous. Um, so I, I, I would agree that that is, and as you said, the, the literature points to that being a, a key characteristic and an important piece to achieving a flow state. Yeah. And, you know, maybe because, um, because tennis is a dynamic sport between two individuals, um, the ability to provide a ton of unambiguous feedback is difficult because I could see that ball land in, but maybe the opponent has a different perception of where that ball landed. So even something that it would, on the face of it, appear to be unambiguous, the ball was in, um, maybe it was deemed not so. Yep. Right. And so that that can be that can be you know uh, obviously problematic for the, for the tennis player um, when it comes to getting into into flow. Um, I think another one to talk about here is this sense of control that we have, right? When we're in the zone or in flow, we feel like we're the ones who are in control, or we at least feel like we are exercising some control over our own game. I think this has a lot to do with this sense of um, knowing that you have the required skills 
to be successful, right? So we go back to the challenge skills piece. You feel like, hey, I can be successful given the skills that I have. Um, so I think that we could relate that then to confidence. And anybody who's thought about when they're in the zone uh, most likely associates that with feeling a lot of confidence, trusting their shots, and you know, therefore you feel a little bit more more in control. So I think that's um, certainly an important one when we look at not only mental toughness about being confident and having a lot of self belief, but being in you know in this situation. Anytime that we are performing well, we we have this sense of control. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's that's definitely a big one. And uh, as you said, this that self belief that you you have the the skills that are needed for whatever the task at hand is, for whatever um, the the challenges that's in front of you. Which generally in a tennis match is, do I am I competent enough? Uh, do I have the tools required to compete in this match? Um, and I think that that ties into a couple of the um, the other attributes, um, which is this uh, self-consciousness piece and this really loss of self-consciousness. So not necessarily feeling that worry or that anxiety that is associated with um, feeling like maybe you're overmatched, right? So you mentioned uh, earlier that if if a player is maybe playing against a stronger player or somebody that they perceive to be stronger, that does lead to a lot of anxiety because you feel that you don't, you're not equipped. You don't have the the toolkit needed to compete in the way that you want to, or compete in a way that gives you a chance to win that match. Um, but in a flow state, and I know this from some of my personal experiences, but also again, from the literature um, that is as highly associated with, um, with, with more with, uh, with less worries, less anxiety, um, and, and less, less self-consciousness um, where you're not constantly wrapped up in your own train of thoughts, thinking about um, that, that opponent, thinking about whether or not you do have that skill set needed, um, but you're able to just perform. And as we've talked about with the inner game of tennis, start to quiet the mind. Yeah. I was just about to say that, right? This is another great tie into the inner game of tennis and it's really taking the conscious mind out of the equation a little bit. It's that ultimate trust of, you know, self one is trusting self two to, to do the job rather than uh, chattering a lot and, and, and throwing up, you know, potential barriers. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of this stuff, like we're talking about the loss of self-consciousness. Well, self-consciousness is often ego-oriented. And you had mentioned that these ego concerns can be problematic when we're playing a tennis match. Um, and so, yeah, when we... When we are able to remove that conscious mind, not worry so much, not have so much anxiety, I think we also notice that um, the the level of self talk tends to go down. It's not needed as much. It's probably short. It's probably mostly motivational or just very short instructional, like next point, breathe, and there's not a lot going on. And I remember reading a study uh, several years ago about how. Um, the military was trying to find ways to train soldiers faster. And so one thing that they did is they um, hooked them up to an electrical current in their arm and then one into the temple on the side of their head. 
and they they induced an electric current. And it, what they saw is that it, by doing that, it uh, instantiated a sense of flow. And so they were monitoring brain activity. And what they noticed is when these soldiers who were training, you know, basically through like um, uh, like video games or something, um, learning things through a video game or, or virtual reality type of thing, um, when they were in this flow state that they had induced, they were actually learning two and a half times faster than normal. But what they also noticed in terms of brain activity is that you know that conscious mind, the con- the part of the mind that does most of the talking, which we would call maybe self one from a tennis perspective in, in a game of tennis, was really quiet. There was like not much activity going on there at all. So that's kind of indicative here of what we're talking about is that we get into this state of, um, you know, we're not self-conscious and we're, I think another aspect of being in flow or in the zone is we feel like we've got this merging of action and awareness, right? So mind-body piece is completely meshed together. And anybody, again, who's been in the zone probably has felt that, this sense of automatic execution. We were talking about flow, but you know, many players just feel like their game is flowing in that moment. And I think that it's not necessarily that um, you're on autopilot per se. I think it's more because that autopilot to me reflects sort of a mindless type of thing going on. But I think it's actually mostly mindful. And that what is really happening is that your brain is working in a highly efficient state. Right, so that it's connected. Um, so I think what um, I can't remember who the author of this is, or who who said this, but it's mental coherence, and really what coherence means is connectivity. So whether that's you know connecting different parts of your brain or connecting your mind and your body, that's a lot of what's going on in flow, and it's like everything you've got like this total sense of coherence and, and connectedness. So I feel like that loss of self-consciousness really helps us get into that mind-body merging that happens uh, when we're in flow or in the zone. Yeah, no, that, that that's an important piece of it. Um, and I, I would say, again, connecting it to inner game of tennis, I think, um, and connecting it to our conversation with Sean Brawley, it's really about sort of getting out of our own way, um, where I think one of the the key tenets of the inner game of tennis is that our body knows how to perform. Our body, uh, most tennis players have spent countless hours on the tennis court, hitting tennis balls, hitting each of the shots. And ultimately, if we can quiet the mind and we can uh, sort of quiet that that feeling of self-consciousness that where we constantly are judging ourselves and judging each action and often in a very critical way, um, if we can start to quiet that, then you can, then that mind body connection can become not unlocked. I don't want to use the word unlocked really in, in sort of a um, too much of a mystical way, but um, can, can be accessed, I would say. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that, that's definitely an important piece. I mean, I think another piece, and I, I know there have been studies that have shown that um, when people are, are in flow and when people are, um, again, tying things into mindfulness, when people are 
um, really aware of the present moment and thinking about, you know, noticing that present moment rather than thinking about the past or the future, um, it does tend to be a, a more, much more enjoyable experience as well. Um, you know, it, it can be definitely much, oops, sorry. Um, it, it's definitely an experience that um, is associated with a lot more positive emotions, as we've talked about in our positive psychology episode, a recent episode, um, how many of these positive emotions are accessed by simply being aware of of the now, of that present moment, rather than thinking about the past and maybe what we wish we could have done differently or worrying about the what ifs of the future. But flow states tend to um, certainly be um, certainly be much more associated with many positive emotions. This, these effortless feelings, feeling like, you know, there, there's no, no, no unnecessary thought feeling like you're going through that process without, without any sort of self-consciousness or, or second guessing of yourself, but feeling like you can perform um, in a, in a more natural way where you're, not just going through the motions, but you're able to, um, to, to, to go for it really. And, um, without necessarily holding back or second guessing yourself thinking, okay, what if, what if I miss, what if I lose this match? Uh, why did I do this? But rather being able to access that skill set um, and enjoying that process of accessing your skill set and, and playing in, in the, the type of format or the type of, way that that you want yeah i think the enjoyment piece of the zone or in flow is is challenging for tennis um because it's different let's say i one of my flow activities was writing it's totally controllable right and i like to write and so i i enjoy that and i can get into flow with with writing um but when we hear tennis players talk about enjoyment it almost is always a product or a result of something, right? Playing well, as opposed to um, a precursor to playing well. And I think that's one of the challenges with with um, with tennis and, and and this experience, because we you know we should all have a sense of hey, tennis is supposed to be fun. I do this because I love to do it. I do this because it's, you know, uh, internally and intrinsically pleasing to me. It's purposeful, right? I want to play tennis so I can become the best that I can play. Um, sometimes those thoughts are not thought of enough before you play. And so, um, you know, I think one of the barriers to players always enjoying themselves is how they decide that it's fun. And they often decide based on how they're playing. As a, you know, so could we do a better job here of saying, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy the struggle. Tennis is a struggle. Um, I know it will be difficult today, um, but I, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm here to embrace that challenge, embrace the struggle so I can get better. Um, when you have that type of mental model with respect to competition and, and playing tennis, they give a better chance of enjoying the whole process as opposed to, well, I enjoy playing well and I do not enjoy playing poorly. I mean, that sounds basic, but <laughs> if, um, if that's how you go about it, 
you're less likely to get yourself into the zone or in flow. That's sort of my thought on that. And so I know when I work with players, I work a lot on that enjoyment piece because many players, when we ask them to study a, a great performance and to pick out aspects of that performance that they think were important to creating it, very often, enjoyment shows up as one of those things. And it's almost uh, almost 100% of the time um, that they base their enjoyment on how they played, not that they looked went into the match looking to enjoy themselves. Yeah, no, I, I, that's that's a good point. I mean, I think I, I would I would tie this in with this feeling of looseness. Um, and, and we talked a lot about that with with Jeff Greenwald, that um, feeling feeling like you can be loose, feeling like you can um, you're not feeling tight and anxious and, and nervous and, you know, trying worried about whether each shot that you're hitting is going in, but being able to feel loose and go for it and enjoy yourself and enjoy that process of competing. And I think a, a big part of that is doing the work ahead of time, having these conversations, maybe it's with a coach, maybe it's with a sports psychology professional, um, do, you know, thinking about why it is that you play in the first place so that when you are out there and it's six all, um, and, and the second set tie break or third set tie break that you're not thinking, Oh, why am I in this situation? I had all those opportunities earlier in the match, but instead it's, Hey, we live for these moments. Like this is, this is my time to shine. So it's, if you've, if you've done the work ahead of time, if you, if you've mentally rehearsed these sorts of situations, then you can access, um, that those types of perspectives and mindsets when in those moments and enjoy that moment where, um, maybe if you don't view things in that way and you're, um, feeling more self-critical in that moment, or maybe even, um, tied into your own ego and, Oh, I should be beating this person. I can't believe that this match is so competitive right now. This match should be over. Um, really thinking about our ego and comparing ourselves in that kind of a way, then, it's really tough to enjoy that moment because then we've talked about challenge, whether viewing something as a challenge or a threat, we think more about what we have to lose from that situation. Like, okay, what are people thinking of me um, playing this, this match so tightly against, you know, this opponent or what's going to happen if I lose rather than, Hey, this is a challenge, right? Um, I'm going to try to do my best here and I'm going to try to enjoy this moment in this challenge or opportunity in front of me. Yeah, and if we can have those better perspectives, then we can construct better emotions in the moment. And yep. I think that that's, that's really the important thing. Like you said, doing that pre-work is you know, setting an intention like that. I mean, you could even set as one of – I don't know if it's necessarily a clear goal, but you could certainly set an intention of, all right, I'm going to enjoy myself today or I'm going to enjoy the struggle. You know, that six-all moment that you mentioned is, is great. It's like, all right, it doesn't matter how we got here we're here. I might as well embrace this situation and try to make the best of it and do the yep. best I can. Um, you know, there could be a million paths to six all in a set. You could have been up five Oh and blown a lead or you could have been down love five, or it could have been, you know, on serve all the way. A lot of different things that could drive how you got there. But once you're there, it actually doesn't matter anymore. You're there and you've got a shot. And um, 
I think if we can bring that, you know, do some pre-work on that, being ready for it, and then try to enjoy that challenge in that moment, we, we definitely have a chance of playing um, better and a chance of, uh, of winning. Um, I, think, I think there's maybe only one more characteristic that we haven't talked about. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but it's a sense of um, this transformation of time. And again, I think that this is one of those ones where if it were like a, a solo activity, like me writing, um, I might you know, feel like time flies. And everybody's sort of said that when they're doing something fun, right? Time flies when you're having fun. Um, that's very much a, a, a flow type of thing. Um, another transformation of time could be, and we do hear this sometimes in sports, is that things sort of slowed down for me out there. Um, I felt, and maybe that's also being related to being in control. You know, I saw the ball really well. It just felt like I was in total control. Everything was nice and slow. Um, and I actually don't hear that that often. I do hear it occasionally from tennis players that they report that. Um, but it, 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 it's an interesting um, concept that perhaps now that we're bringing it out, perhaps players can think about, did they, have they felt that type of thing? Um, and it could even just be the, the speeding up, like maybe you played a two hour match, but it felt like, boom, went like that, you know? And so I think that's an interesting, um, aspect of, of being in flow and being in the zone. Yeah, no, that's, that's def- definitely an important piece. And, uh, I've, I've had more, more experiences in my own personal life and also through speaking with athletes where, uh, time has definitely moved a lot faster, um, and uh, the other thing I would I would add to this is um, when time can slow down, and you know you talk about players who really say that they they've seen the ball really well, or the ball, the tennis ball looks like the size of a basketball, or something like that. And these experiences where you're able to um, maybe you know slow things down, but really um, see and be aware of the ball in a way that you're not used to. Um, and I think this this ties into an important point that. Um, trying to notice when noticing our experience and noticing things like time or noticing, you know, how are we perceiving the ball in this moment? Um, even noticing how we're feeling um, because some of these characteristics of flow are, um, can be, can be apparent or can, um, can take place when um, all the, the, all the other times when, uh, we're actually not in those moments. Um, and I think th- an important point here is that um, as we, you know, as sports psychology professionals, as coaches, as tennis players, we are, we do have that goal of achieving flow, but we, we know that ultimately there will be plenty of situations where that, where we don't actually achieve flow. Um, but, but many of these attributes that we're talking about, whether it be mindfulness and that awareness of the present moment, whether it, be that loss of self-consciousness, whether it be, um, you know, that, that self-belief in ourselves, or some of these other attributes, um, all of these are going to ultimately help us perform well. So whether or not we actually achieve flow on any given day or any given performance, focusing on a number of these attributes, um, which are things we've talked about in this episode, as well as past episode, past episodes will help us to perform at our best. Yeah, and I think that's a key point is that it's not easy to get into flow in a sport like tennis. Because again, like we said earlier, it's, it's dynamic. 
you have a direct opponent. It's very different than a solo activity or even, you know, a sport that is, um, you know, is individual, but also not with a direct opponent. You could think of something like figure skating or uh, different downhill skiing events, um, different equestrian events where you're the only one out there and you pretty much know you maybe you have a course or maybe you have a program or a routine and that you're going through that. Um, tennis is a lot more dynamic. You have somebody on the other side or a team on the other side of the net that doesn't want you to play well. Um, you've got a lot of different things going on that you could pay attention to that could take you out of being in flow or being in the zone. Um, there's so many different things you could focus on. And so it's, it's hard. It's elusive. It's, it's, but, you know, you have mentioned in the past, um, you know, renowned sports psychology professional Ken Revisa, um, how he spent a lot of the first, you know, first part of his career trying to help athletes get into flow and in the zone and then made a switch later to helping them more with dealing with adversity and understanding they may not play well and, and strategies for, for all of that. And I think as we discussed, you know, before we started to record, we don't want it to be a binary choice between these two things, right? I think it's a, it's a mixture of, hey, it'd be great to get into the zone. So we want to know like what that's like. Um, but we also have to realize there's a ton of things that can go wrong in a tennis match. You should expect adversity. You should expect things to go wrong. But many of the things that we learn from about being in flow or how one may get into flow are very helpful in dealing with the different things that could come up in a tennis match. So in that, we'll go back to that six-all moment. Um, you know, what's something that we could do um, even if we're not playing great? Well, we could just take a few deep breaths, like from a mindfulness perspective. Um, we could use some imagery in that moment from like an inner game of tennis perspective, right? I could plan out the next point using some visualization. Um, these are all great things to help you deal with situations. You may not end up getting in the zone, but a lot of that these techniques come through, come from trying to create peak performances. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I like that you you brought up the the Ken Revisa piece because, as you said, he spent spent a lot of time um, helping, you know, studying this concept. I think he was one of the pioneers of of some of this research on peak performance on flow, um, but came to the conclusion ultimately um, that the vast majority of time you're not going to be able to be in flow so if you're constantly focused on oh i need to be feeling this way feeling like i'm in flow feeling great in order to perform well then there's going to be plenty of situations where you're not going to be performing well because you've almost convinced yourself it's not possible because you're not feeling at your best so that um, as sports psychology professionals part of our goal should be to help athletes to perform well and to compete well, regardless of how they're feeling. Um, but I, I think, I think that it's, you know, it, it doesn't need to be one, one way or the other, where we want to be helping people to recognize when they're in these flow states and maybe think about, okay, what did I do differently in this performance that maybe helped me 
to perform in that way and to feel that way, but also to have that skill set that regardless of how we're feeling, regardless of how we're playing, that we have the self-belief and we know that we have the tools needed to compete on that given day. And I think it is many of these same attributes that help us to reach flow or to give us the, the chance to reach flow that will help us to perform day in, day out. And so I think a takeaway for listeners is to try to learn more about these attributes of flow, how to, or, you know, understand them more deeply than how to make them a part of your tennis, whether that's, you know, I think there's going to be some pre-match things one could do and then application of these things after and then even a, a post-match piece of evaluating how that how that went along um i think from um you know if, if anybody's interested in further research there's a book called flow which is by mihai chick mihai um and he also co-authored a book uh with susan jackson uh flow in sports you know so that one actually might be a good one to start with it's it's a, it's an easy read goes through each of the, you know, um, nine or 10 different things there and gives you a better sense of, um, you know, how you can start to take control of these things and maybe how you can use them to apply to the different adverse situations that will come up in tennis matches. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, as, as we all know, um, as tennis players, tennis enthusiasts, et cetera, uh, tennis is, it's not always pretty. There's going to be those ups and downs that are inevitable just about every time we get out on court. Um, So those adverse situations will be happening point by point. Um, It might be, you know, we were up 40 love and then the next thing we know we're at deuce or we, as that situation we talked about before where you start off five love and the next thing you know, you're in a tie break. So um, being able to handle whatever types of situations that you're in, whether whether you're feeling great and able to get into that flow state or able to feel like you're reaching peak performance or whether you're not. And when you're in that mode, trying to figure out what, okay, what can be done right now to help improve my performance, to help get me to a point where I can perform and compete well. Yeah. So hopefully the listeners got a lot out of that discussion, you know, with respect to flow. I think it's a, it's an important topic, not only about getting into the zone, but then managing how you how you compete while you're actually on the court facing all the different adversities and distractions that are just natural as, as, as part of the sport. So that's our show for today. We want to thank you for listening. For more on the show, please check out our show notes. If you have any feedback or questions, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag TennisIQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, which includes YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. We also have Instagram posts with our, uh, our latest episodes. Thanks again, and we will talk to you soon in our next episode.